Hello and welcome to the 145th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, and we are recording on the Monday evening after the North London derby against Tottenham, the evening before Arsenal travel to Hull for a fifth round FA Cup replay. So let's start with the panel introductions. Firstly, I think this is probably a first in the history of our podcast, in that all of our panellists have rejected the offer of free alcohol and are drinking water, either still or sparkling. (laughs) So we can look forward to a very sober assessment of the current state of affairs at the club. Uh, First guest is not a victim of our rotation policy this month. He is making an immediate return appearance, and due to a spell as host of this podcast, I'm led to believe he has actually appeared on more Guna podcasts than anybody else. So a good evening to the holder of a somewhat dubious record. It's Mr. David Udo. Well, well, well. Good evening all. Thank you for having me again. Next up, another regular and a surviving member of the original podcast panel from when we started life back in 2007, recording in a basement flat on the other side of the old Highbury Stadium from where we are currently situated. He has recently bumped into yet another Arsenal player in the vicinity of Hampstead, which we will doubtless get news of at some point. But for now, it's welcome back to the man of a thousand names, Mr. Mustafa Goldstein. Hello. And finally, a new voice on the panel. His presence means we have two residents of London NW3 with us this evening, although I shall work hard to avoid exchanges on the subject of estate agents and coffee shops <laughs> of zero interest to anyone but the Arsenal first team squad. He has been contributing to the Guna and our website for almost 10 years, and I believe first got in touch to offer the sale of a spare ticket for Real Madrid away back in 2006, wanting the ticket to go to a genuine supporter. And I got it, didn't I? As fate would have it, the recipient (laughs) was one Mustafa Goldstein. Here to reflect on what a small world we live in, it's good to say a first podcast hello to Mr Ian Henry. Good evening, thank you for having me. And thanks for the ticket, Ian. No problem. I'll never forget it. Have you paid me yet? I can't (laughs) It was a great night out. Right, so I'll get a gag out of the way from a, an occasional panellist, Simon Rose, who tweeted to say, does the panel have sufficient mental strength to do the podcasts? Ha ha, thank you very much for that, Simon. A question would have been even better, but uh, anyway. All I know is we have good spirit, good quality. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's start with the North London derby. A moral victory, Basti, or not? A definitely a moral victory. Bragging rights, much needed bragging rights. My God, we went in there with a low. I did not hold up much hope at all. And even, well, certainly before we'd scored the goal, I very much thought it was going to be Tottenham's day. Um, then we scored, I thought, it felt like against the run of play to me. Uh, but quite happy to settle for that. On my birthday, it may be added. I mean, imagine that, a London derby on your birthday. The pressure. Um, and it, it was a, 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 I watched it in a room half full of Tottenham fans, half full of Arsenal fans. Um, and uh, so you can imagine it was quite a lot of fun. They brought out a cake, birthday cake at half-time, which was nice. So at half-time, everything was going swimmingly. It's my birthday. We're winning 1-0 at White Hart Lane. And then Coquelin goes sliding in. And... Um, Yes, at 2-1, like everyone else, I thought, well, it was curtains, really. I thought they were going to come and it was going to be 3-1 or 4-1. And the, we were staring into the abyss and somehow, most un-Arsenal-like uh, in the last, the last few games or anything to go by, we 
pulled out uh, all the stops and managed to squeeze a, a, a... It felt like a win to me as I leapt into the air, punching it when Sanchez put the ball in the net. Um, well done, Arsenal. Ten men. We only had ten men away from home. Definitely not favourites on the day. It felt like a, a victory. And I think it is a really good, important thing for us now. Uh, if, if we hadn't have got at least a point out of that, I think we could have said... I mean, the season is all but over as far as the league's concerned. But there is now a glimmer of hope. What was that you said about hope earlier, David? Uh, disappointment. You know, it kills us all. No, uh, we can all do a disappointment. happens to all of us. But it's hope that kills you. John Cleeson, clockwise. Yes. So, that, so it's a bit with tongue-in-cheek that I, I say there's hope. But... Um, it certainly it, it was a it was an, a well needed shot in the arm. But do um, you think, Basti, that this team is actually capable of stringing together more than that in terms of performances that show a bit of battle and desire and commitment that Wenger talks about? Because really, there've been so many times when they haven't turned up. They didn't turn up against Manchester United. Really, they didn't turn up against Swansea. So, what was it that they actually made them? Decide actually to pull something out, but are they capable of doing it well, this on a sustained basis? That, and that's that's the worry because you just, we just don't see it, you know, on a ser- successive series of games. Well, not that I'm a complete narcissist or anything, but it, it is because I bumped into Giroud two days, the, the day after the Swansea game in the High Street. Kev brought it up. So here we go, here's the Giroud moment. I'm walking up Hampstead High Street and Giroud walks out of his Bentley or whatever it is. And I, I said, right, OK. I went straight up to him. I said, Olivier, I said, um, I was there last night. I said, what went wrong? He said, oh, we were a little bit unlucky. We hit the, the woodwork three times. I said, don't blame the woodwork. I said, we've got to get angry. I said, Olivier, you've got to tell the boys they've got to get angry. Get angry. We've got Tottenham on Saturday. Get angry. He said, yes, I know. Yes, I know. And that was it. So, so there you are. So you told you. them to get angry. Significant that we came back once he came <laughs> onto the pitch then, nervously, well, uh, with yeah. your words ringing in his ears. Well, I doubt I had anything to do with it whatsoever, but it, it's, one, it's one to tell the grandchildren um, for a laugh, uh, which I'll probably never have. But yes, no, to answer your question in all seriousness, uh, um, I don't think we have the mental strength. I think they're sitting around in jacuzzis, getting gob jobs all night or something, living the life of millionaires, because that's how they played against Swansea. That's how they played it. Mm. They turn up, and as my girlfriend puts it, um, they turn up wearing high heels. You know, and if they go one nil up, they put even higher heels on and prance around. I mean, I cannot tell you, I have never been so um, verbally abusive to Arsenal players as I was against Swansea. I mean, the words perfume, ponce, to Ramsey and God knows what were coming out. And I don't like doing that. I don't like being angry at Arsenal. I want to get behind the team. But oh my God, it was just woeful, the Swansea game. It, it was, was a rock I think bottom. three seasons out of four at home at Swansea and the fourth one we drew. So this is nothing new under Wenger. His teams have always been like this, certainly in the last eight to ten years. David, is, it, is spirit something which the manager is responsible? Because... Those who will excuse Wenger will say, once the players cross the white line, it's not his responsibility. Do you mm. buy that? Uh, no, not at all. Um, they, otherwise, they play the game the way they want to do. It's, it's like anyone's job. You know, they follow the instructions of their line manager. They may not. I mean, how many times have you been at work where you have a meeting and at the end of it you're saying, yes, boss, no problem, I'll get on to it straight away, and you walk away, and all you're thinking is, they haven't got a fucking clue. 
Um, I, I've not done it with my current boss at all. Not at all, Gaffer. Not at all, not Wayne Church. But you know, it, ultimately, football's their job, and they're following the instructions of their line manager. Uh, all, all these things about, um, or you never see any, you, know, you never hear any talking on the pitch amongst Arsenal players. I saw an interview with, with Charlie Adam uh, on iPlayer last week, and he said, "No, the Arsenal players don't talk to each other." Um, uh, so you're saying that when Mertesacker and Özil uh, were together in the German national team, there was no talking in the German national team. You know, there's no talking in the English national team with people like Wiltshire and Oxlade Chamberlain and Giggs. I, I don't believe it. I think that they're following the instructions of Wenger. He's, he's responsible for the spirit. I mean, um, David Seaman, t- uh, I remember him telling a story saying, you go into the dressing room, there is no talking in the dressing room whatsoever. You have a little word with the physio if you've got a slight twinge or something. Maybe you have a little word with someone. Nobody says anything to the entire dressing room until the buzzer goes, saying, so you know, 30 seconds to get on the pitch, and then he says, OK, spirit quality, and sends them out. And it, it's, it, the way the players act, under the instructions of Wenger, completely is full. And they know they're not going to get hauled over the coals in the way that they would do at Chelsea or at Manchester United or probably Manchester City. <laughs> and there's, there's, there, Wenger has no real accountability at the club for what he puts out. On what he delivers really at the end of the season other than he's got to get fourth place mm-hmm. and the players aren't really have no, have no accountability either with that sort of approach how do you explain the invincible season different players to be yes. stronger players I mean I mean, and not, they, they didn't make as many they, as well. they didn't make as many schoolboy errors I mean we, we've, we, I've, I've witnessed so many schoolboy yeah. errors like kick Ramsey how many times is he going to kick the ball to no one uh, uh, Gibbs, you know, clearing it the other day. Okay, was, these are just one or two incidences. Uh, clearing it straight to a Tottenham player. We've just got to hoof it. Um, Sacker, you know, their second goal. Uh, hoof it. Get it out there. There's two Tottenham players around. Get rid of it. Um, basic stuff, really. That you know, common sense stuff. Uh, Sanchez and Özil hanging onto the ball and trying to take four players on when there's a simple pass on. You know, what are they trying to prove? And losing possession, and guess what? The team runs up the pitch and scores. I think it was a different team in, in, in other respects. If you, if you look at the players in, in the Invincibles, um, a lot of them were players that Wenger didn't want. He, you know, not by his own admission, but he won't deny the fact that he didn't want to sign Sol Campbell because he was too expensive. It was a David Dean, leave it to me, Arsenal signing. He didn't want to pay the money that we paid for Thierry Henry for Juventus because he was Juventus reserve left winger. And he said, I'm not going any further than this money. Terry Henry said, leave with me, I'll get him. Ashley Cole was in the process of being sold to Crystal Palace for £150,000 before it turns out that the photocopied passport that Silvino had wasn't valid under English law. Uh, and, it, and obviously Ashley Cole was outgoing. These were players that Wenger didn't want. Uh, and these were players of their own personality. These players were actual leaders. I mean, the Patrick Vieira yes, he signed yeah. was a, you know, a, a, an AC Milan reserve midfielder who nobody else in Europe had heard of. You know, but these players, you know, they brought the best out of each other. Whereas now, look at our, our well, our captain, Arteta, uh, by not being in the Arsenal squad since Christmas, despite being fit, uh, I think that proves he's leaving in the summer, apparently to be a coach at Manchester City. So our actual captain now is Mertesacker. Bless him. Is Arteta <laughs> fit? Yeah. Arteta's hardly, uh, I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, uh, well, I mean, when Arteta comes on or Flamini, I just go, oh, come on, you know, know, they're they're, they're all right players, but they're not world class and they're not, none of them will get into the Spanish side. That's an important point. If you look, if you think about our squad at the moment and compare it back to the Invincibles, most of the Invincibles had won major trophies either with their national teams or with their previous clubs or in the case of Sol Campbell, had been a leader at the club that he came from. If you look at our current team, 
Okay, most a lot of clubs would probably take Czech. A lot of clubs would like to have Bellerin, and then most clubs would like to have either Özil or Sanchez, and probably quite a few clubs would like to have Koscielny. But after that, I, I, is anybody really going to walk into a top top team? Away well, from none Arsenal? of the British players are really. Are I mean, Welbeck's okay, but he's not top class. Copland is okay, but he clearly has his limitations. Mm. Never been called up the French national squad. No, I think Welbeck. Welbeck could be the sort of player that if he gets a run and he gets when, yeah. when he came on against you know, uh, was it Swansea? I mean. You know, when Welbeck comes yeah. on, you feel okay. We're going up again. He wants it, right. you know. But Sanchez wants it a bit as well. I think you know, if, to have a winning side at, at the top level, you've got to have seven, eight, or ideally nine really top players. You can then have two or three, or at the most four, who are, if you like, eighty percent players. Mm. But we don't have seven or eight hundred percent players. We po we possibly got five. Well, there's no and that, metal. And there's and no metal in the side. So there's uh, not enough of. And there's no spine. Absolutely. You know, we're in the successful Arsenal teams of the past always had a spine. You know, when you, when you had Seaman in goal, you had Tony Adams or Martin Keown, you had Patrick Vieira, you know, even Gilberto, you know. Uh, and, and then up front you'd have Ian Wright or you'd have Dennis Bergkamp. Or you'd have, I mean, come on. That, that, one of the players there, I mean, just saying the words Dennis Bergkamp yeah. and Ian Wright, my God, what would we give for players like that now? Who just no nonsense? Ian Wright, back of the net. Fuck this! It's in the back of the net. Yeah, Dennis Burkamp. Dennis Burkamp. He would. He, he was so pitch aware. He knew what was going on around him. No way would he take on three players if he didn't need to. You know, he'd put the the adult passing that made the difference. In fairness, it was a completely different game then. I mean, you played four four two actual football, whereas now you play four two three one tiki taka. Well, that's and that's something that was brought into the game by Guardiola and uh, the Barcelona team that he inherited. Fingers had to adapt his game for that, but he refuses to adapt his game despite changing the formation. He's still got the same coaching staff of Bora Primorac. Uh, Neil Banfield's been promoted. He's still gutted that Pat Rice has gone. He's, he's the, the Wenger of 96 was brilliant, and that's still the Wenger we've got, but, but it's 2016. And also, but he's also trying to play 4 2 3 1 without players who can play 4 yes, 3 exactly. 1. Yes, exactly. I, I think he'd be, he'd be better <laughs> off playing 4 4 2 with two, with two strikers. And one thing I wish he'd do, which I noticed Barcelona do, and they're quite a successful team, so they might be worth you know sort of learning a few tricks from. Leave someone on the halfway line when, when they've got a corner, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just leave, that takes out two players. In fact, leave Sanchez at, at, and Giroud or whatever on the halfway line because well, not Giroud, but maybe San, Sanchez and Ur, or whoever's not going to defend Walcott. Certainly, right. they're not going to defend anyway. You've got those two on the halfway line. Yeah, we take away three or four defenders, then you've got less to defend against, and you've got a break on. Mm. And we've always, we were so slow coming out of defence. Ian Wright used to do that. He stood on the halfway line. And I think Henri did it for a while as well, although then Wenger took him off it. But, um, but why doesn't Wenger do a lot of those simple things? I mean, that's the mystifying thing. Because yeah. he did them brilliantly for 10 years. He's the best. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's how he's thinking. Sorry, please continue. But it is broken. <laughs> so it needs <laughs> fixing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we need to experiment a bit and try something new. Do Remember that game Man City last season where the, everyone said, well, the players just went on their own and did it? You know. Well, we have tried to play like that in other games, from what I can see. Mm. Um, but we don't do it all the time. We played like that, actually, against Man City at home, and it worked. Mm. But he doesn't do it consistently enough. And I think some of it has to be down to the fact that there is actually a lack of respect of the opposition. There is this view that Wenger must have, and it must get transmitted to the players, because they actually admit it quite often, that they take the opposition too lightly. And, and at it's the quite same clear time, that that's, you can't do that anymore. No, and at the same time, but they also look so timid. 
with, with the ball. I mean, recently they've looked, you know, like, oh, I've got the ball, what do I do? They, they look scared to have the ball. I mean, Bellerin and, and, and uh, Ramsey, I mean, Ramsey's been getting the ball. It's like, you know, everyone's gone, God, you know, please just don't Well, that's lose it. a confidence issue, isn't it? I'm, I'm oh, checked yeah. by the Arteta thing. Where did you hear he was going to be a coach of Manchester City next season? Oh, that came out when Guardiola uh, yeah. was announced as the Manchester yeah. City. So because he's Spanish and uh, Guardiola... Uh, they were at Barcelona at the same time when Arteta was a kid at Barcelona yeah. B. And you had, like, um, a mentor... And Guardiola was um, Arteta's so that, That's been quite widely oh, right. trialled both in England and, I think, so, and in Spain. So, just to clear this up for me, do you think Wenger has decided, right, you know, thanks for your loyalty, uh, you're not going to get a sniff anymore? Uh, he's got a habit of doing that. If someone's contract is winding out um, and they're not going to be signed or they're going to be released, they disappear. I remember where, uh, when... Thierry Henry, in his final season, he barely played them. Oh, he got a make-believe injury, didn't yeah. he? Flamini was like that in his last year. Um, he was, you know, for the first three years, it was, oh, God, Flamini. Then his last season, I think we got so many injuries. We were playing 4 4 2. It was him and Fabregas in the middle, and the two of them clicked absolutely brilliantly. Uh, and it got to Christmas. He was coming out of contract. Um, Having surnamed Flamini, obviously he's, he's of Milanese origin, AC Milan were flirting with him, and even though he was our best uh, central midfielder partner, he was sent to the reserves. And he got a make believe injury. He didn't play at all because he signed a pre contract with AC Milan. And uh, that was when Alex Song was promoted to the first team. Oh, I remember Sylvain Wiltord uh, hardly played yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. in his final months. Wenger's like this, isn't he? You know, if he doesn't like a player, he, he finds a way of being quite vindictive. I mean, remember the 98 FA Cup final, and Elka scores his two goals, a 3-0 up. He's coming off. It's like, well, it's Ian Wright's last game for Arsenal. Yes, Ian, can you take the tracksuit track off of Christopher Ray, who's going to go on instead of you? Mm-hmm. Wenger's a very bitter bastard when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Alex Song, how was he sold? You know, he, he was quite good for his last season. Kept turning up late for training during pre-season. Uh, apparently, he had a word with Steve Bold, who offered him outside. So they sold him the next day. Do you remember his deal to Barcelona? I don't think, I don't think he's. I don't think he's a bitter. I, I, don't, I, I, I beg to differ. I, I, for whatever Wenger's faults are, I think um, he's genuinely got tries to do what he feels is in the best interests of the club. Um, well, and, and although I, I, I'm now questioning whether. You know, he should ma- maintain uh, his position as manager at, at Arsenal. And he said, oh, Arsenal Football Club, but then I sound more like one of those 70s, uh, like Brian Clough or someone. But um, I still respect him, and I still think what he's done for the club and for football in Britain, as in, Eng- in the English game, is, is, is admirable. And, uh, and yes, I, I, I think it's... He's, lo- he's lost some power recently. Uh, and uh, I, I, A lot of what he did in the first... Best part of a decade, I suppose, up until just after the Invincibles were broken up, was extremely good, and it was. And then we went through the transition phase, and the piece by Charlie Ashmore on the um, on the website today divides it into three phases in, in terms of the, the club under Wenger. But stadium change, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. But but we're now in a situation where we have got substantial cash resources. No, I'm not saying mm. go and spend every single penny and. Yeah, Why not? I am. Let's be reasonable about it. But it, but he doesn't he doesn't make use of the resources that are available, and he hasn't evolved his coaching, both his coaching methods and the people around him in all this time. He's still trying to do the same things that he was doing back in what, the late nineties and, and the early two thousands. When the game has moved on, we've got different formations, we've got different and uh, much hungrier tactically aware, astute managers like 
famously say it, like Pochettino, who's a very clever guy, and hopefully he'll be so clever that he won't be at Spurs for much longer, but that's another issue. Hmm. But Wenger doesn't, hasn't changed, and he's stuck in his ways, and I don't believe he is going to change. And I've been saying this, people will know this, they've either listened to me or read my ramblings, I've been saying this for years, we're not going to have a sustained challenge or a team capable of challenging for the title on a sustained basis under Wenger because he hasn't adapted to the new world, the new competitive world that we're living in. And unfortunately, Arsenal are in stasis at the moment. Not quite paralysis, but not far off it. And this season is a massive, massive wasted opportunity. Yes. Well, I'm going to go to the um, listeners' contributions now because Basti uh, was sort of singing Arsenal's praises in the, the bigger picture there. So I'm going to uh, uh, read a question from Stephen Hawkridge uh, through Twitter. Assuming Arsenal leaves the manager's post at season end, OK, big assumption, but let's just go with it, should he move upstairs or sever all ties with the club? Basti, what do you think would be in the best interests of Arsenal? Um, unfortunately, if, if Wenger goes upstairs, he'll still be manager of Arsenal Football Club. I can't see him going upstairs and just doing business or just be, being a sort of David Dean role or whatever role. I mean, what role would you give that man? Well, he wouldn't be a very good David Dean, would he? No, <laughs> well, he wouldn't be a very good David Dean. And, uh, but what role would you give him? What's he going to do? What is actually his role? It'd be, um, pretty, it'd be, it'd be like Ferguson at Manchester United, president or something. Yeah, just sit there and watch games. Free season ticket next to your best friend Gazidis, who you obviously you, love. Yes. You've got to have a very, very strong person, capable, mentally strong person, to take on the role of manager of Arsenal Football Club if Arsene Wenger is upstairs as director of football or whatever it is. Very Because strong, he'd yeah. be the biggest elephant in the room imaginable, even in a way even bigger than Alex Ferguson because everything at Arsenal is Arsene Wenger. Yeah. Whereas there is an, Manchester United, I think, has, had, has a bigger entity uh, without Ferguson. Um, mm. So much of modern Arsenal is Arsene Wenger, and the board adore him. And I think until we have something of a collapse in the team's fortunes, they're not going to. Well, we're going on the assumption. Just say that he did go, which, as you say, is unlikely. But say he he does go and calls it quits. I, I saw a tweet earlier, Kev, um, that you. The question was, will he be allowed to pick his successor? You saw that one. That work that came from Declan Noonan, who asked, "Do the panel think the board are going to let Wenger replace himself, and is that wise?" They well, will I do would, definitely, because but, nobody on our board knows anything about football. <laughs> you know, I mean, ask him, "Can you do this?" I mean, what does Sir Chips Keswick know? He knows that Peter, sorry, Sir Peter, was at a champion guide school. That was it. I mean, Ivan Gazid is a brilliant commercial director, but knows nothing about the How difficult is it to identify a quality manager who will accept a wage of £8.5 million a year? Well, that's the thing. It's not rocket science with what's available. I mean, presuming that, you know, that there'll be, I don't know, four or five top candidates, won't there? Um, and Frank De Boer, for example. Well, he, he, he'd probably bring Dennis Burke out with him. Well, that, 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 there are, you know, there, there, will, there would be options that would be, uh, in a way, to me, it's, it feels like Christmas, the, the, the concept of, mm. of, of a new manager, just because we have been suffering a bit lately. 
Having said that, we've won two FA Cups in a row, and it, it seemed at the beginning of this season that we were building up and we were getting to that place. And, you know, if we'd have beaten bloody Swansea and a shit Man United club, we'd be top of the league now. It's ridiculous, you know. They should never have been allowed to get to where it is. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's why, I mean, after the Swansea game, I really gave up hope on Wenger. And, and, and I would say, presuming Wenger does go, I would say it wouldn't be a good idea to have him hanging around because uh, he's better off at Grand Passate or somewhere. You mentioned Grand Passate. There was a rumour that when Pat Rice had to uh, retire, um, God bless him, um, Wenger's first and only choice as assistant manager was the current, well, he was then the current manager of Nagoya Grand Passate, Dragan Skuishkovic. Um, and the rumour was that he wanted to groom him to be his replacer, uh, his, his, his replacement. But... Um, uh, Gazidis, such is my understanding, said, no, we need someone Arsenal-like to be next to you. Uh, Steve Bold, my understanding from reading a good piece, had just admitted his daughter to the most expensive school in England mm. and had to pay his salary. So he took up a yes, sir, no, sir, I'll put out the combs for you. Then we hired Shad Forsyth. He can't even put out the fucking combs now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Bold's job. Can I ask you a question? Who, who would you, what's available? I mean, Pellegrini's going to be available. Um, I don't know, who else is available? Who would you say... Could possibly fill well, Wenger's shoes. Well, I think it depends whether you are going to go for somebody in the long term or whether you're going to go for a short term fix because Wenger's legacy is, in a sense, very similar to the legacy of Alex Ferguson in terms of his presence at the club. And whoever took the job after Alex Ferguson was going to have a nightmare. Yeah. And we know well, Moyes has looked like and Whether Moyes is the right person is another question. So, would it be better to say, We'll look for the long, long-term successor over a period of time. But somebody like Hiddink or Pellegrini could do a very good job with any set of players, I would suggest to you, for a couple of years. And is that, you need to think outside the box. I know that's an un-Arsenal thing, mm. because Arsenal have had the, some of the most longest-running managers, I think, in the history of football. We just know how many Tottenham managers have been while Wenger's been in charge. Now, that's a, on, on one level, that's a very good thing. But because of the way in which Wenger has so dominated the club for so long, whether he moves upstairs or moves out, his presence is still going to be there. Mm. And a young late 30s, early 40s manager has got to be really a top, top person to be able to cope with that successor. Pressure. Well, remember when, we, when, when George Graham went, and he had a legacy, you know, and yeah. he's gone, and then um, oh, Bruce, 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 Bruce Riott comes in. Now, but we, you'd think, well, Bruce Riott was—he served that sort of purpose. He was a, a guy in the middle, and yet we, we got Bergkamp under Riott. Uh, okay, well, that was David, David Dean. No, it's David yeah. Dean. But this is the thing: yeah. we don't have a David Dean now. Exactly. So the problem is, if Wenger goes, there's no one there to come out with some amazing, you know, Platy and Bergkamp signing. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, though, Basti, money talks. Why don't we just buy half of Leicester and the manager, right? And then just buy them out. Afford to. This manager is going to be the one whose whose agent is the best salesman. Hmm. You know, because, I mean, that, that's how it works now. Uh, football. I mean, the game is run by certain agents, whereby uh, there's a rumour that goes around, Arsenal tell one person that Arsenal need a goalkeeper, 
No, do you think Czech was the only goalkeeper presented to Arsenal by an agent in the summer? Sure, he was the red-hot favourite, but I'm pretty certain that half of the 300 brilliant German goalkeepers, like Lenny Adler and co, were, were, you know, taken to Arsenal, you can have them if you want to, this is the fee, these are the wages. Whoever the best agent representing uh, Diego Simeone, a Yogi Love, a Didier Deschamps, whoever does the best salesman uh, job to Cronky's son, who sadly I think will be the person who chooses, then that's our next manager. You seriously are not telling me Josh Cronkey will have the final word. Uh, him and Gazidis between the two of them. Can yeah. you do your Josh Cronkey impersonation? No, I'm not. He's so good at this. I've got, I've got a cold. I'll work on it for you <laughs> next time. All right. Anyway, while we're on the subject, a slight variation here, uh, tweeted by Anthony Glenn, who said, "Is it possible that the beloved Arsenal brand is now being harmed by Wenger?" Will the board refuse him a new deal because of this? Now, that sort of gets into the financial side of things in a way. Um, I mean, we, there was a story in the Express which basically suggested the board had a conversation after the Swansea game where the idea that if Arsenal failed to win the league this season, the manager would be asked to step down took place. I'm not sure how much credence we can genuinely but give Daily that. The Express is not necessarily a paper you can trust with your... But negative PR, negative PR does have some power and some currency. Do you think the board would actually be swayed by the idea that Arsenal were being associated with a lot of bad things? I, don't, I think the board would be swayed by consistent sites of empty seats... I think the board would be swayed if Ozil and Sanchez came out and said, we want to leave. It needs big things to, to sway them. If Ramsey doesn't want to sign on, they'll, they wouldn't really worry. But you need some profoundly negative things to really make the board think. And I, I think it's probably negative PR, unfortunately, could play a major role there. Do you think that, for example, let's say Arsenal managed to beat Hull in this FA Cup replay, season ticket holders, of which there are 45,000, have the opportunity to say to the club before the Watford quarter-final, I don't want my ticket for this game, and save themselves on average 50 quid off the renewal price. Some people will just not, be, not even be organised enough to to tell the club they don't want their ticket, they just won't show up. Yeah. Do you think there will be a lot of empty seats on Sunday if Arsenal did play what? Well, I wouldn't be surprised because um, within about 12 hours of the Tottenham game, maybe 24 hours of the Tottenham game, I've had at least six or maybe eight offers of tickets for that game. People think it's the West Brom game. They don't realise it might be a Hull FA Cup game. Um, so people are really offering those tickets around now. They don't fancy whether it is, it is West Brom is not a big. They just don't want to go, go to see Arsenal. No, want, uh, well, it's a cold, wet day. It's like it, it, the team doesn't fancy it. So I mean, that Swansea well, game. I just sat there and shivered with the well, team. It, you know, it's, you think, it's, what am I doing here? A lot of the tickets that I've been offered are either club level tickets or very good upper tier tickets. They're owned by corporates. And because the West Brom game has been shifted, if it, if it is the league game, it's 5.30, that happens to clash with the England-Wales rugby match. And mm. those same people will rather, if they're not going to be at Twickenham, which is where I'll be, they'll be watching it on television. They'd rather watch that. Mm. And that, so, 
Well, I, th- I, th- I think that's a minority of uh, Arsenal, most Arsenal fans. You know, they, they, I, I think you're, you're in certain areas, that you're that keen on rugby. I mean, I don't think most Arsenal fans give a hoot what goes but, on. At but, a, but a significant number of people in club level and have, have corporate seats in yeah. the good areas, the upper tier, they share them around within their companies and so forth. Yeah. And a lot of those tickets are given out to people, that, you know, to use. Yeah. And they I, can't get rid of them. I think. I think a bigger factor is. Is that Arsenal for some reason have made a home? Okay, it's an FA Cup quarter final, but it is Watford at home. The game has already been announced as televised and moved accordingly, and they've made it a Grade B game. No chance. Mm. Got to make it a Grade C game and mm. pray mm. that. Um, well, for, for a start, they've got to pray that Watford want twenty five percent of the allocation rather than five percent, which is what they normally get for away uh, teams normally get for league games. And but for us to sell um, all of our all of our forty five forty eight thousand tickets. Uh, Grey B prices, it's not going to happen. I mean, plus, I'm, I'm, I'm giving mine up. Plus, <laughs> Watford are quite good, and you could go there, and we know what that could end up like. I mean, just presu- assuming we do manage to beat Hull, and I don't know what, he, what he's taking up there, because there was this weird thing in the standard tonight about um, that they're flying up tomorrow because it's a 7 o'clock kickoff when they were going to fly out tonight and have a night in a hotel, and they're not doing that now. I, I don't know why 45 minutes difference in flight would stop them leaving the day before and make them fly there and back in one day. And, uh, you know, uh, from my experience, when Arsenal fly somewhere like Norwich there and back, they never have a very good time of it. Um, I, I just I question sometimes some of the arrangements that are made, travel arrangements and things that just don't seem to make any sense. They don't seem to use common sense and, and get the players into the right frame of mind to go and play in a way fixture. Um, you know, from my point of view, I would always say it would be better to get there earlier, be relaxed, do a bit of training, whatever, local, whatever it is that it takes, rather than just sort of turn up off the airport into, into, the, into the ground and, and, you know, not to beat Norwich, which has uh, been our experience of that sort of mm. travel arrangement. Okay. Well, um, let's, uh, let's look at uh, the financial side of things with a... Another question, actually, from Anthony Glenn, who, who tweeted, um, Is the European Super League the final piece in the jigsaw for Cronky and company with a stream of unthreatened income forever? Now, this obviously refers to the uh, so-called secret meeting of the uh, so-called Big Five clubs in London last week to discuss uh, the idea that uh, instead of the Champions League, there should be something where... By guaranteed entry occurs for the clubs with uh, the greatest resources and the supposedly greatest uh, reputation. Does that sit comfortably with you if, if Arsenal are in that elite? If Arsenal are in that elite, well, that's what it's in the elite, yeah, we're one of the five biggest brands, sorry, football clubs in this country, so that makes sense. We are the biggest club in London. Uh, the capital city and the second most popular city in the whole of the world. I get that. But if ultimately it's going to be a European Super League, and it looks like it's going to be, this this suggestion from um, uh, one of the, the CEOs was that um, uh, it was a meeting about a pre-season tournament. That, that's that, that's bolded ash, absolute bolded ash, because some people are bigger in Australia, some people are bigger in India, some are bigger in, in main, mainland Europe, some people are bigger in the States. So it's nothing to do with, with that. It's to do with the proper European Super League, at which point... Football has been stolen from us, and I have to turn to Orient or Barnet or something like that. Because well, that's my how it's going to work. Are they actually going to take these clubs out of the Premiership, or, yes. and that's it? They're not going to play in, in the I, Premiership. I, I mean, so I, there's no more Premiership. That's it. I, I, as I understand it, 
it's the big clubs in uh, Germany and Italy um, who don't get the same income from their domestic leagues. Yeah. And what they're thinking is, we need something which is a bit like the Premier League in terms of interest to the world. Is this to replace the European exactly Champions right. League? So it's a midweek thing, I think. Right. So they would they would devise between them a competition uh, similar uh, in so a if league. Leicester win the league; they can't get into it. That's my. In, That's well, let's put it this way. Absolute nonsense. I think I would give up on football if that happened. Yeah, just be ridiculous. It'd be like RoboCup football. It'd be just. I'm not. I'm not Hollywood sure how football, well thought out it has been, but it is being is coming from the German and Italian clubs. I don't especially. think. I don't think it will get past. There is this the, organisation no. called the European Clubs Association, which used to be the G14, uh, which has basically, I think, probably about 30, 40 actual clubs as members. And uh, some of them are panicking because they can see all the best players leaving them and coming to England. Because the Premier League now, I mean, in the top 30 clubs in terms of income, um, it's pretty soon 20 of those places will be filled by Premier League clubs yeah. simply because of, of the TV income. Um, but anyway... It's it's it, whether or not it's it's well to answer closed, the question. I don't no, know. I would not like Arsenal to be a part of any such rubbish whatsoever, because mm, mm, okay. uh, or, or, or any any English team for that matter. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, I think the the meeting was called and this ESL was to be funded by the guy who's the owner of the Chicago Bears, American football team, and he owns an American football team, and he's seeing how every year six games being played in London, England. Uh, that are actual proper NFL games. He's thinking, well, fuck it. A, this is essentially a global NFL. Let's have a global football league. Soccer league, excuse me. Well, it sounds like something, uh, no disrespect to our friends across, our cousins across the pond, but it sounds like some stupid American idea to me. The point being, a lot more Premier League clubs are being bought by... Americans. Well, Trump could buy them all soon, <laughs> couldn't he? And then where will we? Well, ultimately, it's not our decision because you know, we don't matter. I mean, uh, I mean, the, the whole thing over the Barcelona ticket—you know—that's going to be charged extra for that. I mean, the club ultimately decided to to withdraw that, and they gave us a proper telling off. You know, you read your T's and C's. We should have done this. We're doing you a favour. Yeah. After corporation tax, they would have made a profit of four hundred thousand pounds on those tickets, which paid the wages of three players for one week. That, that's, therefore, £400,000 is absolutely nothing. Uh, my £1,500 a year for my, my less than brilliant season ticket. I mean, that, that doesn't, that, I don't think that pays one of our youth team players' wages for one but, week. But, you know, but the question is, if, if, they, if they develop a, a different competition that I don't, I don't think the fans will take to. I don't, I don't. Even though we're playing top glamour opposition every midweek? That's not, not a question for the fans, in fairness. It's a question about the customers. No, it is. That's what we are now. We're not fans. The thing thing is, it ceases to be competition. We're playing the same people the whole time. And say, lo and behold, Leicester win the league, or middle—I don't know—West Brom, or something like the unthinkable happens. Surely they should be rewarded with a European competition that's a bit better than the UEFA Cup. So would would we play the great and the good home and away twice a season, like you would in the Premier League? Is that what what it's supposed to be? I, I would guess. That will probably be the case. Yeah. Either that, or they'd have two, two leagues, 
And then the winner of each league meets the final. <laughs> this I don't reminds know. me of the scene in Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> if anyone's old enough to remember Doctor Strangelove, and they're sitting in the bunker, and there's the, the, the scenario where um, they're, they're in the bunker, but there would have to be a lot of very attractive women there. And the guy suddenly goes, hmm, that sounds like quite a good idea, actually. Because <laughs> you've got to procreate. And I was suddenly thinking, well, yeah, you know what? We'd, we'd end up only playing Bayern and Barca all the time. Maybe we'd get better. So I'm, I'm starting to like the idea now, just because, yeah, as long as we were in the club for Forever. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's um, let's just look ahead to the last game of the season. We're playing Aston Villa. Manager, they're, coming down here. they're coming down here. The manager is one Remy Gard. And I was thinking earlier, there's not too many players that have played after under Arsene Wenger that have actually become managers. Um, You're not suggesting he's going to be the next Arsenal manager. Well, for all I'm asking at the moment, look where he I'm, is. I'm asking for <laughs> you to first of all recall God. other players who played under Wenger who have gone into management. Oh, Tony Adams, Vieira at New York City. Tony Adams, Tony Adams, Paul Watford. Merson, Paul Merson, player yeah. manager at Walsall. Good oh, shout. Oh yes, good, good shout. shout. Good shout. Um, Any others we can think of? Well, maybe they'll pop up during the during the evening. Yeah, I mean, did Oleg Lushny manage? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Whether or not you can really count him as being oh, yeah. heavily influenced by Wenger. Um, right, now, right, Doug, right. what does that say to you about... Uh, normally, you would have thought, with the number of... It's been there 20 years. OK, the last six or seven years, all right. The 13 years before, a lot of players. We've got some great pundits out of him. Yeah. Great pundits. Old Dicko. I like, let's be honest, the only good pundits on TV are Arsenal players. All the rest are absolute rubbish, apart from maybe, I don't know, well, you can name, I mean, let's, let's be, Keown's great, Dicko's great. I'll be unpopular. Right. Jermaine Genus does a very He's all right, yeah, yeah, he's okay. That's not unpopular, he's okay. No, thank you, Pastor. He was even on Question Time recently, he was wasn't very he? Good. he? He's very so good. good, they got him on Question Time. He was very good. By the way, can I just say, I did just a little bit of the old bumping into footballers of the past. I had a half a Guinness with Remy Gard at the Wells Tavern once, um, when, it, when it was still a real pub. How long when, ago was that? That was when it, the, the week he joined Arsenal. Good and God. I walked into the pub. It's now a gastro pub, isn't it? It's now a gastro pub, but it was a proper old booze event. Yeah. And I, I walked in, and there was Remy Gard with half a Guinness. I said, oh, aren't you Remy Gard? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm going to have a half a Guinness as well. <laughs> that was it. We had a half a Guinness. He was very friendly, very gonna, pleasant guy. Very I thought nice you were going to ask whether he'd set Villa up to concede enough goals that we could actually <laughs> win the title <laughs> on goal difference I on the am, last day. I am season. intrigued. I mean, Tom Fox, the former uh, commercial director... Who is about to be sacked, I believe. Is that right? Well, that came out in, uh, well, it was in the Daily Express next to... Um, I don't read the, I read it elsewhere, not the Daily Express. <laughs> David, well, anyway. I mean, <laughs> do you think there was any elements of Tom Fox ringing Arsene Wenger and saying Arsene have you got a suggestion of who I could get as manager? Do you think there might have been an element of that? Maybe. Could yeah, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Oh, my God, he wishes he hadn't. <laughs> but well, he probably only went for Remy Gard because Gilles Grimondi turned it down. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe he thought it would be a good grounding for Remy then he could come and take over <laughs> from him. Could well, well he pre- yes, and I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, but, no, exactly. Uh, I don't, I, but interestingly, Tottenham have got Newcastle last game of the season, and we've got Aston Villa last game of the season. Mm. So it, it, it could run down to the wire between us and them. Uh, I'm just thinking... What, for really, second? You're, yeah, for, well, for <laughs> fourth, even, possibly, uh, depending on how we go over the next I mean, look, I, I, let's just, just 
completely remove ourselves from emotion here. Now, is this football we're talking about? No, it isn't. <laughs> Knowing that basically what has gone on in previous seasons, there is an eight-point gap between the third place and first place. There are nine fixtures, 27 points left to play for. Is it impossible for Arsenal to win the league now? No. In a uh, in answer to your question, is it impossible? No, it is still mathematically possible. Right. Is it probable? No. no, no. Is, there, <laughs> is, there, is there any chance, though, realistically? Do you think that gap is achievable? I think Leicester, Leicester may well be champions by the time they play Swansea in about five fixtures' time. Really? I, yeah, I think Leicester have got everything we haven't got. And do you know what? Fair play to them. You know, Man City, Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, bunch of overpaid fucking real estate agents poncing about in jacuzzis and Hampstead. Come on, Leicester. I'm sick of it. I'm sorry. I'd love a little team without any money, with a bit of chutzpah, with a player like Vardy who will just run like a fucking nutter to get the ball in, you know, at the touchline and have a go and play a bit of football. I would love it. I'd love it. Do you think... Would you like Riaz Mahrez to be signed for us for next season? Yeah, why not? Go for it. I'll take Vardy as well. Spurs are five points behind. Spurs actually have got a slightly more difficult run in than we have. Yeah, right. So, so I think got Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man. Stoke. Stoke, yeah, always a bit tricky. Ultimately, it's Leicester to, to lose. What was that, that racehorse on them? Um, Devon Lock. Yeah, Devon Lock. Unless, unless Leicester do a Devon Lock, it's, it's theirs. I mean, they're, they're playing, I don't, I don't they're don't playing think, sperm between now and the end of the season. I don't think Leicester have a difficult... I think their last three games... Yeah, but yeah, they, they struggled to quite, beat Norwich. But they, they, beat, but they, they, they got they a draw. Them. Against yeah. they did beat them. You know, we struggled to beat Swansea and we managed to lose. This is not purposeful, <laughs> by the way. This is not personal. This is a bit of a David Blaine moment. I just happen to have this that I've been twiddling in my thumbs. You can tell this the is, this is listeners great. what it is. As they say, this is great radio. But I will describe Basti in his hand. He's holding the wrapper of a fox's glacier mint. And that is purely accidental. <laughs> it, that I happened to pick up earlier and eat a fox's glacier mint. And it happens to be in my hand now. I don't think that's a good omen for Arsenal winning the league. <laughs> Do you believe Arsenal deserve any credit for being above Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, clubs with bigger resources? Are we being too hard on them? No, I think they, those clubs deserve the opposite of credit for being where they are. I mean, we, we, we've, we've generally been in this position over the last two or three years, and we've, we've got slightly better and better. Um, well, we've been in second, third or fourth ever since we last won the league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, we've, we've been remarkably consistent, and, mm. you know, but we haven't really shown sustained signs of progress. We've stayed roughly where we are, whereas other people have leapt around us. Now that, of course, we know suits what Cronky wants. Yeah. Stability and he can take his three million a year dividend or sorry, consulting fees out yeah. and I bet you any money you like it'll rise in the next year or so because he'll have done something else wonderful for us. But we've stayed more or less where we are and we have not progressed and that is where I think mm. my frustration, disappointment comes and I suspect that's where a lot of the frustration, disappointment of others come from. But at the moment there are too many people who are quite happy with well, the club being where they are. Well, not the fans, though. I mean, we would really, the fans, 
that what's, what's frustrating is we are that close and we are Absolutely. one or two big buys away from get, getting some, you know, but the, the right players. I, I wonder is how many of the fans or customers <laughs> are that passionate? I mean, I don't, you know, I can remember going to watch Arsenal at Highbury on a snowy Friday night before Christmas and there was 19,000 in there. Mm. And we were playing Norwich, I think, just before Christmas, something like that. You know, the, the hardcore fans are not 60,000. No. They're not 50,000. They're not 40,000. They're not even 30,000. Mm. And the price of the season ticket means we have a rather a very radically different demographic going to the ground than we had a hybrid. Is that true of all clubs? I think it's particularly true of London clubs. London and clubs, and, yeah. And particularly, I suspect... Arsenal and Chelsea. It is, it is interesting that uh, in terms of the average price, I believe the club that charges least in the Premier League is Leicester. <laughs> and then therein lies uh, perhaps a moral. Mm. And you look at the excitement and the dynamism of their ground. Mm. Now, that's obviously partly to do with the fact they're up at the top. Yeah. yeah. Well, to think that they were, they were nearly relegated last season. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a... It's, Hollywood couldn't make it up, could they? Mm. I mean, it's... Uh... Well, you know, they appointed um, the Tinker Man as their manager. He hasn't tinkered very much. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, he wasn't broke. He didn't fix it at all. And he's, he's, oh. he turned Nigel Pearson's bunch of oafs into, you know, really good football. He reminds me of my Auntie Doris, actually. Yeah. He really Claudine, does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's quite similar to my Auntie Doris. Did they have Mahrez last season? Was he yeah, they had him. They yeah, had him yeah, last season. Did they have Kante last season? No, Kante broke. Yeah. Um, okay, I mean, we were top of the, the league uh, around Christmas time, just mm. after, I believe. Do, can anyone actually pinpoint a reason for the collapse? We've, we've won two games out of nine in the Premier League. Is there anything we can identify as something tangible that, that's gone wrong? Why did it just change? We did seem to play pretty much the same 12 or 13 players every single week for two and a half months, with Sanchez injured, with, with Wiltshire injured, um, Walcott was injured at one point, uh, there was no Welbeck. We had to play the same 11 or 12 every single week, and uh, they just got knackered. I think Coquelin uh, going out for, how long was Coquelin out for? A little while. That, 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 but, that. We didn't, but we actually didn't begin the decline until quite a few games after Coquelin got injured. Is Cazorla got injured, actually? Um, no, it didn't, the decline didn't really start until Man City. Yeah. We, we, and the, we, we haven't actually, since the Man City game, we haven't had any, I don't think we've had any serious injuries. Well, losing to Southampton 4-0 was, that was just a, that immediately after beating Man City. And we just collapsed spectacularly in that game. And well, so what went wrong at Southampton? Well, what went wrong at Southampton was the same thing that I think went wrong last season. We went there with completely the wrong attitude. Yeah. High heels on again. Yeah. And it's interesting. We, make, we do make the same mistakes or we lose in the same way at the same grounds against the same teams. We lost at Southampton very badly at roughly the same time last season. What do we do this season? In the return fixture, we struggled and struggled and struggled. We just got the winning goal last season about the 89th minute. This season it was very similar, but we couldn't score. Again, Fraser Foster had a blinder. Again, away at, uh, away at Liverpool, second season on the trot, we concede an injury time equaliser when we've managed to get very close to winning, having been in a losing position. Mm. We go to Manchester, Manchester United when we're actually playing quite well, 
and we collapse again. We've lost at home I think we to missed, Swansea three seasons out of four. So there's something that's wrong, I think, in the psyche of the, the club. And whether that's all down to the manager or it's the, part, or it's the players, there's something not quite right that enables the same things to be happening time and time again. I, I think that this walking out against Southampton with the high heels and not giving respect to certain teams... I think if you've got players like uh, uh, Wilshire or, or Sanchez, who are those players that surge forward, mm -hmm. we don't seem to have enough surging forward for my liking. There seems to be a lot of... It happened against Tottenham. We surged forward, guess what, we scored. But there's a lot of timid passing sideways, left and right, that whole round-the-area thing, and even going back to Mertesacker. And then Mertesacker sort of like some sort of, um, you know, uh, baby donkey wandering around giraffe. what to do. Giraffe, yes, with his... Well, now, where do I go? Where do I go? Oh, all right, I'll go over there. It seems so in slow motion. It's not decisive, quick, come on, let's have it. There's none of that, you know, righty, rightiness. Well, about but it. the Invincibles moved the ball a lot faster yeah. than this. And in fact, the team that nearly probably should have won the league in 2008 with Fabregas at the centre, they moved the ball a hell of a lot faster. Yeah, we, we were against Tottenham. We looked so slow at the but beginning. But since, since that 2008 collapse, I think the team has slowed down. So much is incredible. Mm. So basically, it's Gail Cleese's fault when he sits over against Birmingham and goes away that penalty. The, the, don't, if you see what I mean. No, <laughs> the, the, the Eduardo game, mm. where yeah. Martin Taylor went through his leg. Mm. We were there, we were, well, it was 2-1, wasn't it? Mm. In injury time. Um, no, in injury time. And the ball comes over to Cleese. He's on the inside edge of the box. And for some reason, plays the ball five yards in front of him rather than oofing it. Player comes in from the right wing, mm. takes it off, and Cleese takes him out. That was when Gallas, our captain... Had if you strength. remember that, you know, wouldn't go off the pitch. Well, I turned around to Kev, uh, was it the Leicester game? And, I, I, you know, when, when it was one or well, we were losing. And, uh, you know, we agreed there were too many boys in this team and not enough men. You know? I think we said they were nice. I think they were too nice, nice. that's right. Yeah. They were, they were much too nice. nice. Everyone, look at every player there, they're all nice. You know, Walcotts and Ramsey, they were really nice guys. Uh, and having bumped into Giroud, I've got to say, he was a really nice guy. But I don't want nice. You don't want nice. I want nasty. I want you nasty want, Arsenal. You want, you want Diego Costa? Yeah, well, Martin Keown. Mm. You know, there's someone with exactly a bit of golf. You can still be decent and an Arsenal man. You don't have to be a right... Sorry, I'm going to use the C word about... Um, I'm not going to use it, but you've already got what I'm saying about Costa. The Costa is the C word. But players... Like, you don't want people cheating dirty bastards... But you want people with a bit of Martin Keown, a bit so of Tony Costa. Adams. It's something like Yaya Toure, isn't it? You want a man. Yeah, you want That's a man. You want a man. Well, yes. you don't want Yaya Toure now, because I, I think he's... Oh, he's no, he's an I, I think Koscielny, Koscielny's a good defender. Mertesacker's all right, but they're not... They don't really give you that feeling of like, right, this is like your, your dad, you can trust him. You know what I mean? They're, That's because they're not... Because Wenger has bought a certain kind of player uh, for the last ten years. Hmm. You know, the Invincibles evolved out of the team that he largely, or the, the defence he largely inherited out of, from, from George, or with the George Graham era, effectively. And even with the Invincibles' defence, we know that, you know, whether he wanted or didn't want Campbell, but he also, you know, his uh, centre-back partner there was Colo Toure. Mm. And there was this story that he got Colo Toure in because he thought he was a good footballer, but he didn't know where to play him. Mm -hmm. And he asked the, um, the opposition manager in a pre-season game to have a look at him and say, where, where does he think... His position should be: should it be at fullback? Should it be at centre back? Should it be centre midfield? Mm. And he, 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 Toure had never played centre back 
He really wanted to, but he was five foot nine. Well, he still is five foot nine, and he only plays the second because of injuries. I think back to the current team, I think Cockerland's probably the only player. I mean, he got sent, you know, wow, we're getting sent off at White Hart Lane for for sliding in. Stupidity. Well, stupidity, but you know what? I mean, in about a a thousand derbies out of like ten years ago, that would have just been, that wouldn't have even been a yellow card in a derby. That would have been, get get up, Kane, you just left your foot dragging a bit. Kane could have run on there if he wanted to. He didn't have to go down. You watch that, his legs just, oh, great. You know, he's like, yeah, I think you're scraping the barrel for an excuse. Oh, maybe I'm scraping the barrel for an excuse, but at least Coquelin is someone who gets stuck in, right, for all his sins. He gets, he's the only player who gets stuck in. I mean, Ozil, I mean, have you seen him try to head a ball lately? Yeah, yeah but the thing is, I mean, there's a difference between people who, who want to give it and people like Ozil. I mean, he does as much as he, he's willing to do and fulfil the terms of his contract to get his hundred and sixty thousand pounds. Yeah, it's not that you, sort of You player. put the three of us in Arsenal shirts. We will run harder. We'll put in more tackles than anyone else can imagine. But then. we will be fucking useless. Yeah, Cockerland. Cockerland's. Yeah. He's great for himself. No, he's great at what he is. But he's not been called up to the French national team squad because mm. there were five or six players ahead of him, including Morgan Schneider. That we could have had. Yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. But, um, he's, he's a great squad player. But when he came back from injury to make everyone roll their sleeves up and leave forward and go, great, great, we've got business because <sighs> Francis Coquelin, who couldn't get into the, what was it, the Charlton team he was on loan at last year? Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't get in their team. And, you know, let's face it, we got fucking lucky with him in the sense that he fit in when nobody else did. Well, mm-hmm. You know that Yaya Sonogo is scoring a lot of goals at Charlton. He could be our centre forward next season. Be careful what you wish for. That's quite apt, Ian, because I forgot one question sent in. I like to mention everybody. So a very brief one to finish from Joe Gagliardi. Assuming both fit, has Welbeck passed Giroud as our number one striker? Any opinions? David? I think they're two yeah. different kinds of players. You need use them for different. If you, would, if you were a tactically astute manager, mm. you would set your team up to play in a slightly different way, depending on who your lead striker was going to be. I, d- I don't think they're alternatives to each other because. Um, Welbeck is manifestly quicker than Olivier Giroud and probably plays a completely different kind of game. I'd prefer always have a player like Welbeck myself rather than Giroud in the team, but I think at times you need a player like Giroud. So now I don't see them as alternatives really to each other because they, they, they're not the same sort of player. Well, I, see, I see Giroud a bit like uh, Alan Smith. Uh, he holds the ball up well. He's a good footballer and he plays for the team and he will score goals although he's going through a, a lean spell. But... Um, uh, uh, he can seem a bit slow and cumbersome, but I mean, Alan yeah. Smith always had Ian Wright playing off him, mm. or Wiltord, or you know, or someone. Or no, actually, not did, no, not Cam- Kevin Campbell. Kevin Campbell, that's right. So he'd always have someone. But then you, you, you had if you've got a player like Giroud, you've got someone who's playing off him, who he'll hold the ball up and he'll pass it, and then maybe he'll do that. What uh, that lovely goal where he dinked it over and was it was it Ramsey who put it in or Özil? I can't remember. Giroud, no, it was Özil, I think, and Giroud did that, you know, amazing little flick. Um, mm. He's a bit too flicky, flicky, but he also he does when he came on. Uh, we did suddenly look a little stronger, you know. I, I felt, and I felt that Ramsey suddenly running through there, you know, Jerusalem sort of went, oh, here you go, and it it brought something different. Um, 
Well, you I, say, you say, well, could so they you, play them both together? You say, you say, well, no, you play them, say, uh, uh, play them together. That would be like 1989-90 when Alan Smith was out injured and Noel Quinn came in and did well and Graham tried to play uh, Quinn and Smith up front together for three games. You know, identical twins. Quinn and Smith. Yeah, I remember that. 1989-90. Noel Quinn. If it was 89-90, uh, we're playing 4-4-2 and you had a big Giroud or Bentner, people like that, flicking balls on for a little Walcott to run onto, we'd win everything. But Walcott, Michael Owen, players of that, uh, Jermaine Defoe, players of that ilk, they're redundant now. There's no yeah. place for players like that. Players like that get turned into right-backs and called Hector. Well, I think if, if, Will to- if, if, if uh, Walcott did run, he's been standing around, and he's not been making the runs. Great article been- by David Udo in the current issue. Let's, let's not oh, really? revisit the Theo theme. I think okay. on that note, we will just plug the current issue of the Guna, which went to press after the dramatic late win against Leicester and features Danny Welbeck on the front cover. Inside, there are features on treasured Arsenal items owned by our contributors, the left-field idea of Mario Pochettino as the next Arsenal manager, <laughs> who the captain for 2016-17 should be, uh, memories of watching football on the terraces, reflections on a decade of Theo, and much, much more. It will be on sale outside the stadium at the home match next weekend, whether it be West Brom or Watford. It costs £2.50 and is also available from the Guna website. I'm getting away from Basti. Yes, just briefly, any um, Gunas uh, in the Hampstead or Belsize Park area can also get the Hamstonian for £2, <laughs> which features, which features uh, a picture of Monreal at the Greengrocers, and and um, and Robert Perez with uh, the fishmonger. So um, that worth it just what for that. It's, a, it's an Arsenal, an Arsenal pro Arsenal uh, publication. Well and, worth a and, and a collectible, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. With that plug over, a reminder that you can contact us via Twitter at Guna Podcast and email at gunapodcast at gmail dot com. Thanks for all the questions and topics submitted for today. With that, it is goodbye from David. Good night. Mustafa. Good night. And Ian. Good night. We will be back with another edition in April with hopefully a title challenge still very much alive and an FA Cup semi final to look forward to. Oh, God. Go well, what about the Champions League final? Yeah, well, I mean, let's <laughs> try. There's always next season. <laughs> this is your host, Kevin Witcher, saying goodbye and thanks for listening. La di da di da, la di da di dee, all good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!